every single church community or ministry that I know of sprang into action. They didn't need to be invited. They carried their brooms and whatever they could do, they started cooking and uh, bringing uh, relief to people and uh, those that are doing cleanup in Beirut. It's, it's a sight to behold. God must be looking down and smiling at his church right now in, in Lebanon, despite, despite the ugliness of what's happening. The church is being the church. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Eli Haddad. He's the president of Arab Baptist Theological Seminary in Beirut, Lebanon. Now, ABTS has been doing a lot of unique ministry in a very troubling and challenging year there in Beirut and across the country of Lebanon. But it particularly was even magnified just last week on August 4th when a a massive explosion rocked the city. 2,750 tons of ammonia nitrate, which just for comparison, the Oklahoma City bombing a couple of decades ago that killed 168 people involved just two tons. And this explosion was 2,750 tons. More than 200 people are dead. Many are still missing. More than 5,000 injured. More than 300,000 homeless. Billions and billions of dollars of damage. It's a really devastating moment. We've been covering how... Baptists have been responding, asking for prayer, and getting involved in ministry right there in Lebanon. You can find a couple of those articles at wordandway.org. And one of the ministries that we've been including in our coverage is Air Baptist Theological Seminary. So I was really glad to be able to have this opportunity to have this conversation so that we could learn more about this school, learn more about its ministry, not just in the aftermath of the explosion, but as he's going to be talking about all sorts of other economic a political unrest in the country, as well as coronavirus, which of course we're all dealing with ministry in unique ways. And so I hope that you will take this chance to learn more about what our Baptist brothers and sisters are doing there in Lebanon so that we can, can walk alongside them, pray with them as they minister in these unique and challenging but really important times. So here's my conversation with Eli Haddad of Arab Baptist Theological Seminary. Well, first of all, thanks for joining us on the program. And I know that we are meeting in a, in a very unusual year virtually here for this conversation. So first of all, I just want to know how you are doing personally. How are, how are you? How are your family in this time of coronavirus and, and so much more that's been going on? It's been a time of uh, crisis after crisis in Lebanon. So, uh, yeah, it's been relentless. So we, not, not just me and my family, but all of us here at the seminary, we 
pretty tired, <laughs> exhausted, as a matter of fact. But at the same time, Brian, that uh, it's a lot fulfilling and meaningful when we're able to serve God rather than feeling sorry for ourselves. So we're managing well, thank, thank God. You know, we're, we're doing well, we're, we're able to do something. Very good. Well, let's talk a little bit about Arab Baptist Theological Seminary before we talk about some of the, the, the crises that you all have ministered in this year. I just want to first just introduce the seminary for our listeners that may not know much about the school. So who is ABTS and, and what have you all been doing all these years? All right. ABTS was started in 1960 by Southern Baptist missionaries at the time. And uh, it was uh, planted or started to... Uh, trade leaders for the church in uh, the Arab world at the time that was Lebanon, Jordan, and Egypt mainly. And then the ministry has really developed and now it's uh, more of a regional uh, seminary. It's been owned by Lebanese Baptists since the late 1990s under the umbrella of the Lebanese Society for Educational and Social Development. Lebanon is still a very strategic gateway for ministry in the Arab world. We are able or we have freedom to do things that cannot be done elsewhere in the Arab world. One of them is to train leaders for the church in the Arab world, Middle East, North Africa, even leaders who don't come from a Christian background. So what we do is we work with churches all over the region and we bring in students, potential leaders, train them, equip them, and then send them back to serve God in their own communities. You mentioned something that I wanted just to kind of highlight. I know in the United States, a lot of times our view of the Middle East isn't uh, that nuanced. And Lebanon is a democracy. It's a, it's a bit of an interesting democratic system in that you have certain positions are carved out for certain religions, which is to try to you know deal with your pluralistic society. So there is a Christian that's always in leadership. Is that the, the president? And then the prime minister is someone else. And right. And so, so anyways, I want you to talk a little about some, these freedoms that you have in, in Lebanon, because it is different than, and then I know from our stereotype of a lot of Middle Eastern countries. Yeah, we, we have one form of constitutional democracy. And what you're referring to is the sectarian system that we have in Lebanon. So all the top positions in government are by religion. So the president of Lebanon is always a Maronite Christian. The prime minister is always a Sunni Muslim. The speaker of the house is always Shiite Muslim, and, and so it goes. So for us as a small evangelical community, we get very little. We get one member of parliament, and that's it. So this sectarian system had its benefits. I think one of them, it was meant to protect the minorities in the region. So everyone has a voice. But what it has done is it has encouraged a lot of corruption. So that has really fed into what we have right now is the corrupt political elite. So what they're doing is they're dividing up Lebanon rather than protecting Lebanon. So let, we're going to get to that in a moment. So I'm trying to, you know, there's so much has happened this year. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm trying to at least maybe walk us through this all a little chronologically so that maybe by the end, we'll all be exhausted for you for this year that, that you have had. Yeah. So. Like, like we started to experience in March, you all were also experiencing the coronavirus as it was moving globally. You had to close the campus, moved online t teaching. And I wonder if you could walk us through what that was like. I know March seems like, you know, years ago, but yeah. you can help us remember what happened when March and coronavirus came into to Lebanon. Let me go back a bit, if you don't mind, so that we put this in context. Yeah. 
So the last 10 years have been incredible. We've always had conflict and some kind of thing happening. But the last 10 years with the refugee crisis in Lebanon, the humanitarian crisis, and 1.5 million Syrian refugees in Lebanon, small country of uh, population of 4 million, broken infrastructure. And so that has had its toll on Lebanon. Then with all the corruption, it culminated last year, almost 12 months ago, into uh, uh, an economic, economic collapse. So little by little, we started to experience economic collapse. And that had led to an uprising in October of last year. So a lot of political unrest and social unrest. And then the, the economy kept going downwards until the pandemic hit, and that's where it climaxed. So right now we're experiencing a lot of hyperinflation. Our Lebanese lira, we've lost like 70% of its, its purchasing power. There's a lot of capital control and we cannot withdraw hard currencies and cash in Lebanon and that sort of thing. So a lot of people have lost their uh, employment, they've lost their li livelihood. We're experiencing poverty that we had never experienced before in Lebanon. Lebanon is full of educated people. We had a large chunk of middle class. The middle class has disappeared. So it's either very hungry people or not being able to manage their day-to-day -day activities or warlords, if you want. So that's, that's where the pandemic hit. So it was crisis upon crisis. And then, then we have the, had this explosion a couple of weeks ago. So let's talk about what happened in, uh, with the pandemic. With the pandemic, very quick, quickly, the Lebanese government, they locked down the country. They stopped schools and they closed down the airport. So very quickly, we had to find an emergency measure for our uh, school. Our core program is the residential program. We have our students in residence. And then suddenly, we're not able to bring them to class. So we decided to stop classes. Fortunately, we had been investing in an online environment for the last five to seven years. So we had enough of a solid platform to continue the academic year in an online format. So we decided to close down the classes and send our students back home. Many of them went back home. Many couldn't because the airports closed very quickly. They went back two weeks ago after the airports reopened. So at that time, at that time, we were managing two separate conversations at ABTS. One of them is survival. What do we do if we can't bring people to class? What do we do financially? Uh, it's going to be a very tough year. We operate on a different uh, funding model. Our students do not pay tuition, so we're not tuition-driven. We're very much partnership-driven. Uh, we're not able to travel anymore to maintain relationship with partners or to, to meet new partners. We don't know what the economic situation of our partners will be like in a year or two as a result of the pandemic. So we had the financial crisis to deal with, the survival crisis. At the same time, we didn't want our long-term solution to be based on reaction to a crisis. We wanted that to be based on discernment, what we think God wants to do in the region, how we can come alongside that. So we went through another conversation of strategic discovery. What should ABTS look like going forward? And if we were to start ABTS today, would full-time residential education be our choice? So we are moving to what currently we're calling a modified residential program. So we want to retain all the key components of our residential program. And some of the key components are formative components, which are very important for us. Our curriculum is not just about uh, 
giving them Bible and theology. We want to see life change. We want students to have skills so that they can go back and lead and mobilize and do something with it, to be able to understand the challenges of their context and, and find the biblical solution for, for their challenges. So there is a lot of formative elements that are hard to do when people are not living together. We don't have that life-on-life -life experience for three years as much. So we're working hard on developing elements that look differently but would produce the same outcome. We will lose, by, by losing the residential, full-time residential program, we will be losing a lot of the life-on-life -life mentoring. We will be losing bringing students to different ministry contexts and, uh, and different life contexts where they, they can learn new things and be challenged with new things. But what we will gain is that they will be able to be trained while they are in their own ministry context and everything that they learn they can apply right away so them and their own community can grow through that experience. So with, with this new approach we would be able to attract key leaders who are very much immersed in ministry, who are not able to leave their ministry for three years to come to Lebanon, but they're able to invest 15 to 20 hours a week to be trained. We want to come alongside them and, and, and to equip them for ministry. So it's changing a little bit of our approach, and I think we will have a more strategic approach, and we will be more accessible in countries that we did not get students from before. So we're excited about this move to this, uh, what we're calling the modified residential program. And we're still trying to unpack what that means. We're still trying to answer the questions. We're not even sure that we've asked all the right questions. So we're in that exploration phase still. Yeah, well, very good. Well, you know, in addition to dealing with all of that, with your students and your training and so forth, and, and I know you had some students that were still there for a few months before they were finally, airports finally opened, they were able to go home. But you had this campus that was largely empty. And so you opened up the campus for doctors and nurses to stay at as they were treating coronavirus patients, but wanted to be isolated from their own families to protect their families. So I wonder if you could tell us about this unique ministry that emerged during this pandemic. Yeah, so... Uh... Our, we have a very nice conference center. We have good facilities, best with that. That used to be a source of local revenue for us to support the ministry. So definitely with all the closures, uh, we don't have any business in the conference center. So we opened it up for ministry. So we started to house uh, medical workers and first responders who were dealing directly with coronavirus patients. So these medical workers wouldn't want to go back home where they have vulnerable family members. So they stayed here on campus. And, uh, and then that phase finished. We were doing well with the corona numbers. Not anymore now, but at that time we were doing well with the corona numbers. Then after that, we opened up our uh, guest house to be used by first responders who were getting exposed to uh, people that have coronavirus. So right now we still have them. Today we have 20 people that came new. They come and they get quarantined here and then they, they go back to, to their service when they're done. So when the explosion happened one week ago, we decided that the rest of our facilities, we want to make them available to families who have lost their homes and explosion. 
And by this time, all our students had gone back home, so we have the student residence as well. So in addition to the first responders, we can house around 20 families. If the first responders leave, we can house probably up to 40 families. So we started doing that. Uh, the whole community got together and uh, we were cleaning up, doing deep, deep cleaning to the dorms and the fresh coat of paint and then connecting. So it's filling up very quickly. We're, we're, we're trying to vet the people that come. We want to make sure that there are people who are in need and uh, we want to come alongside them. And we realize that this might be long term and just short term. So we want to be prepared to, to serve them long term. You know how, how this works, Brian. Uh, that we're so thankful, everyone around the world, that they're offering help and support and prayer and all of that. But in a couple of weeks, Lebanon will disappear from the news until the next time when we get a crisis. But, but the crisis will not be, this crisis will not be over in two weeks. In a few months, we'll be in the middle of winter. So the 300,000 newly homeless Lebanese, they, they need a lot of uh, care and, and uh, coming alongside them and supporting them. Today, we got a phone call from uh, St. George Hospital. St. George Hospital is a, is a big hospital in, in Beirut. It was demolished in the explosion. It was playing a very key role in treating corona patients, so now it's demolished. So we were called today by their HR manager. They want to house at ABTS a few of their nurses, so they want to try and get back into business. The homes of these nurses and the dorms where they used to stay in the foyer is all destroyed. So we're working hard on getting in the right people that, that need help and can make a difference. Yeah, let's let's talk more about the explosion. Obviously, we we have been talking about last week's explosion. I know that the numbers are going to continue to rise, but more than two hundred dead, estimated three hundred thousand homeless, which is what you've just been talking about about housing some of those families. Ten to fifteen billion dollars in property damage, at least that's U.S. dollars. You know, so that, that you're right. That, that's a that's a crisis on top, even without all the other crises you all have had over the last year, that's a crisis alone that would last for much longer than our global attention span, which is why I, I am glad to have you on the program to help yeah. keep this on our, our minds, to keep this in our prayers. So I wonder if you could take us back to August 4th. The campus is several miles away, so you all were outside of the, the damage zone, but I wonder... Did you did you hear it? Did I mean what what was that day that evening like when the explosion happened? Yeah, the whole place shook. Uh, we are about maybe eight miles away from the center of the explosion, but yet Brian, we had broken uh, windows and doors. So the, the size of the explosion is nothing that we've seen before. So we we heard smaller explosions before the big one, and we knew right away that something's wrong. We, we have enough experience with explosions to know that there is something wrong. And uh, it was on the news right away. It, we, we've never seen a devastation this big. So the numbers that you were saying are all correct, around 200 that there's still some missing, a few thousand injured, and 300,000 uh, homeless now. But uh, did I hear you right that uh, the damage is about 10 to $15 million? I saw about 10 to 15 billion. Billion, um, yes. Billion that, with a B, yes. That sounds correct, yes. That sounds about right. 
So it, it's an incredible crisis. It's a catastrophe for Lebanon. And, and that's on top of all of the layers of crises that we've been living through. It's not like life has been normal and then August 4 happened. August 4 happened when people were already losing their employment. And it's, it's in the middle of Corona crisis. We have another spike going on. And it's, uh, it's tough. It, it will bring back Lebanon probably a few decades. Um, unless it's a catalyst to solving some of our political problems. And that's our prayer is that despite the bad news of this catastrophe, maybe there's something good that will come out of it. Yeah, and, you know, again, just to help contextualize this, you know, you mentioned about this being, not seeing this kind of devastation, and, I mean, you all had a 15-year civil war that was quite devastating. It had a lot mm. of, you know, military bomb blasts and, and nothing of this size. And, and I think that that's, you know, it's pretty shocking to, to imagine that, this explosion was far beyond what you all saw in war. You mentioned earlier in the interview the the refugees coming in from Syria, particularly, and uh, essentially a quarter of the people living in Lebanon right now are refugees from another country. And so, I mean, on top of all of these other economic and political issues, this is this is quite significant. And so, you all are housing people. I know that there are the Lebanese Baptist Society or the Lebanese Society for Education and Social Development is ministering in a lot of ways. What, what are some, some ways that Baptists and other evangelical Christians are, are stepping into this moment to, to minister? Uh, it's uh, quite the sight, Brian. I grew up during the Civil War. I was just writing an article for our newsletter that goes out on Friday and been reflecting on this. During the Civil War, the church was very much in hiding, very silent. Uh, survival mode. We want to be left alone and then we'll be fine. Today, uh, God has been really transforming our church with the refugee crisis and then all of these crises. Our churches have become something different. Every single church community or ministry that I know of sprang into action. They didn't need to be invited. They carried their brooms and whatever they could do, they started cooking and uh, bringing uh, relief to people and uh, those that are doing cleanup in Beirut. It's, it's a sight to behold. God must be looking down and smiling at this church right now. And, and despite, despite the ugliness of what's happening, the church is being the church. That's uh, exciting to hear and to see. So what, what are your hopes and dreams? We've talked a lot about a, a lot of struggles this year, but I wanted to kind of end on a, on a more hopeful note. What are your hopes and dreams, both for the seminary as well as for Lebanon moving forward? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if I have a lot of hope for Lebanon. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't change things much. You know, we've experienced, Brian, and, and this whole region, uh, that uh, when there's more violence and there's more conflict, it's more opportunities for the gospel. It's the time where people are feeling pain, a time that people are looking for meaning, looking for purpose. It's the time that people are ready to hear about God. So, so this is how it works in God's economy. The more, the more there is conflict and there is pain, the more people are looking for God. So the ministry takes off at a time like this. So even though we don't know if this hope politically in Lebanon. 
or socially or financially or economically. But we know that ministry-wise, for the sake of the gospel, it's it's very good time for for proclaiming the gospel, for showing the love of God to people around us. This is the time to do that. That's why my hope is not in the country. My hope is in the church. When the church is being the church, wonderful things happen. And that's where our role is as ABDS. We come alongside the church to equip leaders to be able to read the signs of the time, to be able to mobilize the church communities to to be involved in what, what God wants to do in, in the countries and, and the regions that we serve. So in terms of ministry, it's very, very, very hopeful. Politically, economically, I don't know. We can only pray. Well, we will commit to pray with you. And that was what I wanted to close on. And how can people learn more about Arab Baptist Theological Seminary and get connected as well as, you know, how would we we partner with you in prayer and other ways? You mentioned you were writing for your newsletter, which is something I think comes out every month. I I, I read that. And so it always has uh, information not only about the seminary, but some of your students and all the countries there across the region. And so that's always fascinating to hear about that. So I wonder if you could just, wh- where do people need to go to get connected and to, to partner and to pray with you all? Right now, we're keeping uh, Facebook, our Facebook page updated. So all our news is, is coming out there. So look up ABTS, Arab Baptist Theological Seminary, on Facebook. You'll find us there. And it connects to our website, abtslebanon.org. And uh, talk to us. Send us a message. And we, we can develop a relationship and, and talk through all of these things. And when the time comes, we'd love for people to come and uh, see firsthand and witness what God is doing in this region. Don't discount this region because it's always in the news in a negative way. God is at work doing amazing things. People are coming to faith from new communities that we never thought would come to faith. And exciting things are happening for the gospel in this region. Come and join us. Excellent. Sounds good. Well, when the coronavirus is over, I hope to come and visit you. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Blessings in all that you do. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. As was mentioned, you can learn more about Arab Baptist Theological Seminary at abtslebanon.org or by searching for Arab Baptist Theological Seminary in Facebook. As always, you'll find us at wardenway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people find the show. It really does help. You can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it, especially during these uncertain times with coronavirus. And so all you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button, and, and whatever you give there will help support the production of our podcast, as well as our website and monthly magazine. And speaking of that magazine, if you're not a subscriber, I have a deal for you half off for one year, just go to tinyurl.com slash wwoffer. If you have any comments or feedback about the program, you can send those to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>